First Thessalonians chapter 1, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 4. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. Shall we pray? Lord, we do thank you as we consider your word this afternoon that we might be much encouraged together of those things which are of great importance to our faith, that we might faithfully discharge our service and our lives for your glory and praise. Father, as we think of our churches, we know that they need your help to remain true and faithful and that those who are believing and trusting in you may be built up in the faith and walk in love. I pray, Father, that you will bless not only this ministry, but the other ministries in our areas also that preach faithfully the gospel. And ask, Lord, that you will undertake for them and build up the believers, that they may face the difficulties of the day, and of the circumstances to which we find the world is in. And ask, Father, that you will encourage one another in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we um, begin this uh, series of meetings and uh, the messages here in First Thessalonians, uh, we find, of course, that Paul begins with some introductory remarks and as we think about that we we know Lord we know that all the churches need the encouragement of the word of God and our church is no different we need to be encouraged that we might faithfully carry out the work of the ministry and uh, so these these introductory comments um, are important as we think about what really Paul is saying to the church in light of Christ's return. As we know, there are some important uh, passages in the book of First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, uh, which also, of course, mention the return of Christ. Um, and so Paul begins uh, by making some introduction to the church at Thessalonica. Three areas we're going to be looking at. First of all, they were blessed in their work of faith, and we find that probably in this particular passage, when he mentions work of faith, um, he probably is referring as much to that faith which was begun in them. Uh, There was a work of faith which has been begun in each one of us. A faith which we cannot turn away from, a faith which 
is grounded and settled upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, from that work which was begun in us, which God will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, we know then there are other works which are accomplished, works of love and encouragement, labors of love, if you will. And he mentions labels of love. He says they were blessed with labors of love in Christ. And we see all this, of course, in verse 3 especially. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love. Labor of love. And so uh, the, the work of faith is directly connected, of course, to the labor of love. What labors of love is he talking about? Well, I suppose they can be diverse and many in relationship to the ministry. For whatever we set out to do to the glory of God should be done as a labor of love. And we find also that they were blessed as they thought on their patience of hope. And see, Paul is bringing these three areas up, but they are very much substantial to every believer the patience of hope that we have in Christ. So as we think about that patience of hope, we are patiently waiting for the return of the Lord. In fact, if it were not for the blessed hope, what other hope could we have in this world? You see, there's very little hope in this world that we could have. Uh, And things, of course, are, are not getting any better but we find that they are getting somewhat worse. I have a brief article I'd like to kind of um, excerpt for you upon the basis of the current situation in the world today. It is entitled, Will Humans Exist in the Near Future? And this was written by a Laura Sanger, Ph.D., Um, And it begins by saying, have you noticed how enmeshed our lives have become with artificial intelligence and, you know, the AI uh, acronym? Spell check, social media, feeds, voice activated commands, Google searches, Google maps, mobile deposits, all use AI. Yes, it's made our lives more efficient, but at what cost? Stephen Hawking was warned that, quote, the development of full artificial intelligence could spell the end of the human race, unquote. Is this just hyperbole? I wish it were, she says. Going beyond human, transhumanism is a philosophical and intellectual movement that actively promotes human enhancement. Nick Bostrom, director of Future of Humanity Institute at Oxford University, defines transhumanism as a, quote, intellectual and cultural movement that affirms the possibility and desirability of fundamentally improving the human condition through applied reason, especially by developing and making widely available technologies to eliminate aging 
and to greatly enhance human, intellectual, physical, and psychological capabilities. I know it sounds very technocratic, doesn't it? In turn, uh, it turns out the obsession with human enhancement is not just a 21st century phenomenon. It's been pervasive for thousands of years. The pursuit of a super race is at the core of the Nephilim agenda. If humans can surpass what God created, then they can become gods. Quote, creating superintelligence may be the last invention humans will ever need to make, since superintelligence could themselves take care of further scientific and technological development. They would do so more effectively than humans. Unquote. Bostrom opinioned. It has long been the pursuit of the alchemists to discover the, quote, philosophical or philosopher's stone, unquote. The philosopher's stone is not a tangible stone, but rather a magical substance obtained through wisdom that is achieved at the highest level of enlightenment. This world is believed to have the power to transform a decaying physical being into an immortal being. The transmutation of lead to gold represents the transformation of mortal to immortal. Alchemists search for the, quote, elixir of life, unquote. The ancient Spartans were obsessed with physical perfection. They practiced state-run infanticide. All Spartan infants were brought before the state inspectors and examined for physical defects. Those infants who did not meet the rigorous standards of physical perfection were discarded on the hillside to die. Hitler established a program in 1939 called the Reich Movement for the scientific registration of serious heredity and congenital diseases. Its purpose was to kill infants and young children with birth defects or congenital diseases. Midwives under the Nazi regime were required to file reports upon the birth of each child and doctors were to file reports on children up to age three. Those children deemed disabled or defective were then killed. This was part of the Nazi eugenics program. In our generation, women have been able to abort their babies they, if they discovered a genetic abnormality. Parents can choose to reject an embryo. If the pre-implantation genetic screening for intravitro fertilization demonstrates an underlying genetic condition, in vitro fertilization allows, also allows parents to choose the sex of their baby. The stage has been set for the designer baby movement through several key transhumanist philosophers, among which is the influential Friedrich Nietzsche in, in 1885. He wrote, quote, I teach you the superman man is something that is to be surpassed. What have ye done to suppress man? All beings hitherto have created something beyond themselves, and ye want to be the ebb of the great tide, and would rather go back to the beast than surpass man. 
What is the ape to man? A laughing stock, a thing of shame, and, ju- and just the same shall man be to the su- superhuman, a laughing stock, a thing of shame. Unquote. Max Moore, a modern transhumanist philosopher, defines transhumanism as, quote, seeking the continuation and acceleration of the evolution of intelligent life beyond its current human form and human limitations by means of science and technology guided by life-promoting principles and values. Stick with me just a little while longer, if you would. Advancements in transhumanism. In February 2015, UK lawmakers voted to allow in vitro fertilization using micro Chronodonal. Uh, I'm not pronouncing that quite right, but it's microchronodial, something like that. Um, replacement therapy is for short MRT, which replaces the microchronodia of the mother with that of the donor. Prime Minister Cameron justified the decision by saying. Quote, we're not playing God here, we're just making sure that two parents who want a healthy baby can have one. MRT is a form of germine, germine genetic modification which can be passed on to future generations. This uh, caused scientists worldwide to sound the alarm that genetic engineering of humans was an eminent possibility. Uh, they called for a halt to CRISPR, C-H-I-S-P-R, an, an acronym for the, what they were doing, technology in human embryos, because it has the potential of altering the genetic makeup of the human species. This is precisely what Nephilim hosts are after. Uh, I'll just interject at this particular point. I find it very interesting that the Biden administration wants to eject little tiny infants with the coronavirus uh, vaccine, so-called vaccine, but which, which really is not a vaccine, which rewrites the DNA, and that is what we are. You know, this is this article is all about. It's just another branch of it. Remember, the Nephilim agenda is the plan to defile the human genome through the propagation of hybrid race. The purpose of which is to overthrow God's kingdom. We are gradually being programmed to accept human enhancement. Transhumanists want to enhance human intellect, physical capabilities, and mental states. Advancement in gene editing technology, such as CRISPR, have led to the possibility of designer children in which parents can select the attributes they want in a child. This unleashes yet another wave of eugenics the wealthy would be able to create babies that have built-in genetic advantages, which then raises significant legal and ethical questions. What constitutes a human person under American law? It's a genetically modified child still, is a genetically modified child still considered a human? Will genetically modified children be protected by human rights laws? We also have to consider the potential of discrimination Will these genetically enhanced people receive preferential treatment over normal humans? 
<coughs> excuse me, <coughs> legal commentator Michael Rivard weighs in on the seriousness of what we face in the near future. The historical distinctions between species will not remain intact. Scientists using genetic engineering technology will blur distinction between species as they transfer characteristic traits, such as intelligence, between species. The line dividing human from and non-human will disappear. It will be replaced by a genetic continuum. Speaking of being replaced by a genetic continuum, have you heard about neuroprosthesis? Super systems that uh, the latest in organizational development employs neuroprosthesis technologies to enhance the abilities of human personnel. Neuroprosthesis is a form of enhancement. It is an artificial device that is integrated into the neural network of an individual. These devices typically enhance sensory, cognitive, and or motor skills in the human host. The idea is to increase productivity within employees. Right now, there are only specialized organizations that are utilizing this technology. The military is the primary utilizer. In essence, the military can create super soldiers by enhancing their, their health, precision, and endurance. This technology turns a human into a hybrid biological electronic entity because the neuroprosthesis device integrates with the neural circuitry of its human host. A group of these hybrids become a neuroprosthesis supersystem or a hive mind. Now I know all this is very um, over the top, you might say, but it, uh, I think it points out and this lady who was writing this article is herself a, a very evidently well-informed individual on what is going on. And uh, I find that uh, President Biden, by a um, executive order, has started this particular type of experimentation has given the green light for it to go ahead. Um, as neuro, uh, neuro, let me see if I can get this word right, neurotechnology and AI rapidly progress, scientists are attempting to create a global superbrain through the use of nanobots. Uh, keep in mind this hive mind that they're talking about. In 2019, scientists from the Human Brain Cloud Interface Project reports that nanobots will be able to navigate the human vascular system, cross the blood-brain barrier, and present, uh, precisely auto-position themselves among or even within brain cells. So it's that once they introduce the nano. Uh, bought into the bloodstream, it can cross what's called the blood-brain barrier and gets into the brain, and once it gets into the brain, it can then be part of the brain function. Scientists are attempting to connect a network of human brains with AI to form a hive mind. One way they can do this is through the use of graphene oxide. Now, this was a while ago that, that Leon Musk um, 
warned uh, many within the scientific community and those who are involved in manufacturing and uh, this sort of thing that if they did not make some rules about AI, it could get out of hand very quick. And of course, you know, we have on the, right now, on the experimental horizon, um, these, these electric cars which drive themselves. And I say experimental because it's not perfected. And they're still experimenting with these automobiles, or they're selling them like, you know, to anybody who's wealthy enough to pay $80,000 and up for an, for an electric, hybrid, uh, electric car. Not a hybrid, but an electric car. Graphene oxide, this one is really most telling, and I've got to share it with you. Graphene is an incredible substance. It's a single layer of carbon, one atom thick, but it's 200 times stronger than steel and 1,000 times more conductive than copper. Graphene is physically flexible and ultra-thin, which makes it an excellent candidate for biomedical advances such as drug delivery, tissue engineering, neural wires, and brain implants. Graphene oxide is, a, is in different types of pharmaceuticals. In fact, beware of nasal spray vaccines. Research has have also discovered ways to make graphene oxide edible so they can inject it into our food. Once we ingest graphene oxide laced food, we essentially have our our FID tags inside us. Even more concerning is that graphene oxide can be um, aerosolized. This means there are a number of environmental means by which it it can, in, you can ingest, or we can ingest graphene oxide. Now, one of the things that comes into play in this is this graphene oxide is used in AI. It's a, it's a, it's a type of artificial intelligence that they're trying to develop and is, will be greatly enhancing the hive mind. And uh, one of the things that is uh, going on in technology is the RFID waves, if you will, the same ones they use in the telephones and a lot of the electronic devices is going to, and has already started going to 5G, which is, I guess, the wavelength at which this graphene oxide can be um, initiated, can be initiated. So just think about that, if you would. One graphene oxide, once it is in our bodies, it's a toxic material that is activated by electromagnetic frequencies such as radio frequencies, 5G, and or microwaves. Graphene oxide is considered a neuromorphetic menstruator, which essentially is a memory transistor Neuromorphic means graphene oxide can self-assemble to form nanowaves that function like brain synapses, essentially forming a nanobot, nano-sized robots, miniature, of course, micro, miniature robots. A menstruator can both save and process information as well as receive numerous signals, which means it's capable of learning. 
Graphene oxide has been shown to cross the blood-brain barrier. Therefore, if we have graphene oxide within our bodies, we must know that it's capable of self-assembling into nanowaves, forming a menstruator. In other words, thoughts can be embedded into our brain through graphene oxide. This is the ultimate in mind control. The good news is that there are ways to remove graphene oxide from our bodies. Glutathone is important to detoxing, detoxing from graphene oxide. It's produced naturally from our liver and is made from the anno, uh, amino acid, glycerin, cysteine, and glutamic acids. Uh, glutathone is an important component for a strong immune system because it's involved in the building and repair of tissue. I might just say here that one of the things that this whole um, coronavirus thing has started is that it attacks or supposedly assists the immune system, right? Yet we find that the people who haven't taken this coronavirus thing um, can actually, through their own immune system, they can defeat the coronavirus if they're healthy enough because the, the immune system is able to do that. Okay, so point two, we connect this vaccine which they want everybody to have, which by the way, doesn't kill hardly a fraction of the people that uh, the drugs of our culture kills today. Especially fentanyl. Fentanyl kills many more people than, than this pandemic has killed. <clears throat> when our glutathione levels are high, we have a strong immune system. But when the graphene oxide activated by EMFs overrun our bodies and exceeds the amount of glutathione, it triggers a collapse in our immune system. Well... The article goes on, and I don't have time to read the rest of it. But I think by now you've gotten the picture. You've gotten, you, you've gotten the picture. What does this have to do with what I am saying today here in this passage? It has everything to do with it. Because ultimately, this, if this, if this really becomes something that, that takes a hold of society and it can control what you think, and it is part of a mind control, it will neutralize the spiritual life of many believers. Now I'd like to tell you what other mark of the beast could possibly be more advanced than something like this in the end time. Certainly no number on the outside of your skin is going to be as advanced as this. Though, it, though that may be representative of what has happened to the individual. But if graphene oxide is introduced into the food or into the air or into the lives of certain people and their minds have been now taken over, will they be able to discern between good and evil and spiritual and the word of God? Well, you see, I think that's why the Bible does tell us not to take the mark of the beast. 
you know, we have, I suppose we have struggled for since millennia on trying to figure out what is the mark of the beast, and everybody has had a, a, had a figure on it, you know, what it could be. And not to say that what has been said already is wrong. I'm just here to say that it may take on a much more sinister role than we ever thought in the world. Than we ever thought. And, you know, when Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica, you know, he wrote within the confines of what the wisdom of the word of God taught to him. And the first one that he says to the church at Thessalonica, he, he, he says to them in verse 3, Remember without ceasing your work of faith. The beginning of our work of faith is to have faith in Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Those who are believers are compelled to follow the dictates of the scriptures, of the word of God. We are to be fanatically following the word of God because we believe that the word of God is infallible and we believe it is the absolute truth and we believe that faith is that which God places within the hearts and lives of individuals and not man. Man, does, man is not supposed to do this sort of thing. This, this, is, this is truly the evil of, of those who want to control the world. They want, this, this is one world citizenship to the nth degree. And control in government and in, and in society. You know, one of the things that believers need to guard more than anything else is their faith. Their faith in Christ. Why? Because, because of their faith in Christ, they know Christ. We know Christ. Paul and Silas, Silvanus, and Timothy unto the church of Thessalonians, which is in God the Father. We are in God the Father. Every believer who knows Christ is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things we need to be most fortified in is our faith. Those who will not be fortified in their faith will succumb to this kind of thing. Because they'll end up willingly or unknowingly enter into something which they should never have entered into in all the world. Never. And we find that this kind of transhumanism Though it is in the early stages of development, um, Biden has signed executive orders to say, go, go ahead with it, go ahead. And other people, other scientists in the world are involved in this. The military is involved in this. I mean, we've, we've read about it in science fiction. And today what's happening is that it is coming into reality. The unbelievable is becoming reality. But there's one way we can guard against it and that is to fortify our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to make sure we do not let anything come into our bodies that will in any way degrade our true sense of spiritual life in Christ. The believer has a great responsibility to be true to the Word of God.
The second thing that he mentions here, of course, is just as valuable. They were blessed with a labor of love in Christ. What kind of labor of love is there in Christ? Well, we find that our labor of love in Christ is so important that whatsoever we do in word or deed, we do to the glory of God. In Colossians 3.17, it says as much. And so we know that whatever the believer does is supposed to be to the glory of God. To the glory of God. We are not only chosen by God through faith, as it, it says here in, in verse 4, we are the elect of God. But John 6, 28 and 29, we as well are chosen by God through faith. We are saved by God because of His grace and mercies to us. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We are chosen from the very foundations of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. And Titus 3, 5 and 6 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration. <coughs> and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Yes, our labor of love is very important because we labor because of the love of Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. And then, of course, James, I suppose, on the other side of the spectrum to many, says that that labor cannot be carried out except by faith. He says... Show me your, your works and I'll, sh and I'll show you your faith. If you, have, if you say you have faith, show me your works. <clears throat> In other words, the labor of, of love produces works because of faith. Not the other way around. Works don't produce faith. But faith, which is worked into us by the very love of God, produces good works and that for believers we are compelled to to know this and to acknowledge it and then the last one here just briefly because I don't have any time more time but they they were blessed as they thought on their patience of hope now I suppose this one is is so important because labor of of love and patience of hope kind of go together in the sense that we are looking for Christ to come. We are looking for Christ to come. We have a hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. A hope not only unto salvation, but a hope that He is coming again. And of course, in, there are many verses that refer to Christ coming again. But in Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of the Lord is present, or at hand, he says. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. 
the great turning away, the great apostasia. And what does all this add up to but a great apostasia, a great turning away from God? Did not Jesus say that when he came back, would he find faith on the earth? One would wonder why it wouldn't be possible that there would still be faith on the earth, except for the fact that man has tampered with man to the point where he's being controlled. And what does Antichrist do in the book of Revelation? He wants to control people. Anybody that will take his mark, he will definitely control. In fact, the Bible says, that's it. Once you've done it, it's over. You won't turn back again. In fact, you cannot turn back again. Antichrist has that person, and they're forever lost. That's how serious-minded it is in the book of Revelation to this fact of Antichrist and taking the mark of the beast. And that is where this kind of technology, even on the surface, is heading. To say nothing about the implementation of it, which may be without our knowledge <clears throat> upon certain segments of society. And of course, that, that can be a very scary thing, right? Continuing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not, that when I was with, yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what restraineth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now hindereth will continue to hinder until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked one be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, of course, verse 7 and 8 are under some duress as far as uh, interpretation in some people's minds. Some say, well, it's, uh, it's the church is talking about. Some say, what's the Holy Spirit is talking about? Well, I think the important thing is to remember, if the church is taken out of the way, if man becomes less than a spiritual being, then obviously the Spirit of God who is in man will not stand against the evil around him. If it's talking about the Holy Spirit, God restraining, that restrainer which God has allowed in the world, the end result is the same. Sometimes we quibble over interpretations that really don't matter. The whole point here is that when the man of sin comes, and when he is unleashed, allowed to do his worst, he is going to infiltrate into the hearts and lives of people, and there will be very few people to stand against him. But those who will stand against him, of course, and will not bend to Antichrist, nor take the mark of the beast, will be able to do that. But, of course, that great peril. And so this mystery of iniquity doth already work, he says, even in the first century. 
Only who who now hindereth will continue to hinder until he be taken out of the way. And so the Holy Spirit is restraining, is restraining great sin even now. And then shall that wicked one be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Well, the world will believe the lie. They, they will believe it. And it may be, maybe there is a transhumanist element that is at work. And we, we don't know by what means God will allow these things to finally come about. But we are seeing many things that are very ominous in this day in which we live. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all might be judged, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. One of the things we can do as Christians is to fortify our faith, realizing that we are blessed with a work of faith that God has begun in us that we also are blessed with a labor of love in Christ. The works which we do in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ are ordained of God and we are to do them. And we stand against lies and we stand against Antichrist because of these things which we are doing. They are blessed as they thought on their patience of hope and the idea of Christ coming again is something that has always been believed from the first century church until now. And I'm not talking about whether one believes in the rapture or one believes that the Lord is going to come at the end of the age. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we believe the Lord is coming. What matters is that we stand for the truth now. These things that, that are in relationship to eschatology are in God's hand. They're not in ours. We don't, we don't do anything to make them happen. Except that we stand for the truth now as believers. And be faithful. And serve Him. And love Him. And honor Him. And maintain the truth. We must hold the line on our spiritual life. And not allow, not allow the world to dictate to us what we believe and what we don't believe. You know, this... I think it is getting much more serious than we, we, have, we have ever considered before. We talk about the deep state. I think, I think it's, the, I think it's the, the deep globalism of the world that is, that is trying to overthrow Christianity altogether. They want to overthrow Christianity altogether. What will replace the spirituality? Well, we, we, all we have to do is look around us and see the, the, the globalism of religion which is being promoted. That's all we have to do. And that's what is meant to replace true Christianity. It is a false religion. It is a false Christ. It is an antichrist. It is the great Babylonian 
entity that rides upon the beast. He writes of blessings and commendations to the church that is faithful. And that's what we are to be. A faithful church, a faithful people, holding the line for Christ. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us. Pray you will bless your word to our hearts. Help us to be alert and to be aware and to be discerning and to realize that the Holy Spirit of God that you have given to us restrains the great onslaught of sin in the world and that we are the church of Jesus Christ and that we are to serve you, Lord, even in the midst of great difficulty, even in the midst of great apostasy. Father, that you may receive the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.